This is a Federal News Network podcast. Few people even heard of the FAA's NOTAM system until it crashed and brought aviation to a standstill earlier this month. The FAA blamed a contractor for accidentally deleting files such that the system failed to synchronize. My next guest says the incident speaks to all contractors about the need to supervise their people. Federal sales and marketing consultant Larry Allen joins me now. Somebody wasn't watching the watcher or something broke down here in a procedure. Larry, files were deleted. What's your interpretation of what happened? Tom, I think probably, uh, although we don't know with precision, it's easy to infer that you had probably a long-time contractor support base supporting the FAA on this particular system. Probably had had some people who'd been there for a while, but some new folks as well. The the point being that there wasn't a lot of oversight going on either from the point of the FAA or even the senior management at the contracting firm. And when there's not oversight, when people aren't making sure that the system is tuned up and properly managed then you get errors. In this case, it was a very front-page error, the type of error that no contractor or government agency wants to have. And what I'm saying here is, look, when you have thousands and thousands of government contractor employees who work side-by-side with federal workers to achieve the same mission, I think there's a tendency sometimes to think that, oh, we're all in this together. And maybe on a day-to-day basis, Tom, we are. But when there are problems that arise, we are certainly not on the same page together. And that's when it's time for contractors to ensure that they have done the steps and oversight they need to make sure that their on-site people know they're part of two teams, the agency team and the contractor team, and what that means to ensure that they are doing the due diligence on behalf of their own company and not just the client. Interesting, yes. And different badge, same building. People think same building, same task. We're all on this team. But really, the two badges denote a relationship of oversight, perhaps, and supervision by the agency of the contractor. So it sounds like there's a little bit of blame to go around everywhere. I think so, Tom. And I think the thing that's probably frustrating for not just the thousands of travelers whose travel was disrupted because of the outage of the system, but frustrating for the FAA and the contractor is it's pretty likely that each of them have processes, review processes that they're supposed to go through periodically. And I think if they go back and check, they'll probably find that somewhere those review processes either weren't done or if they were done, they were done in a very surface scan type of methodology We're checking to make sure that all the specific gears were going in the right direction when they should be. If you're bringing in new people, you've got to train them on what to delete and what not to delete. That seems like it should be pretty basic. And if you're the government and that's critical data, you have to make sure that your contractor personnel know that. If you've got a process, make sure you follow it. The processes and procedures may be a distraction or may seem like it's a distraction sometimes from what people consider to be the day job. But if you don't follow the processes, your day job turns into a crisis job and that doesn't work either. I guess the side issue here too is that if you have people manually moving files around for synchronizing on a critical system, that system is probably 50 years out of date with relation to, you know, modern day IT systems that support critical infrastructure. Well, right. And that requires specialized care and feeding by both the agency and its contractor. 
partner. And we've seen, Tom, cases over and over again where contractors are working with outdated government systems. You try to keep people on past their uh, retirement date because they're the only ones who understand how these out-of-date systems work. On the flip side, you try to get Congress to update some of these systems, and that can be a, a years-long process fraught with political overtones just as much as the need for money. So, you know, I think in this situation, you've got to particularly make sure if you know you've got an aging system or an aged system that it's going to need some care and maintenance and oversight, maybe over and above what a newer system would require. Sure. And now that employee is relegated to changing the rubber belts on the telex machines ah, from now on. This is kind of my, my last point with this is that, look, we're all on the same team until we're not. And contractors need to remember that they can be removed, that the contract can be canceled, that contractors, Tom, are basically the low rung on the ladder. So you need to make sure that you're doing it better than the people in the federal agency. Uh, your margin for error sure. is much less. We're speaking with Larry Allen, president of Allen Federal Business Partners. And something else changing on the scene is a congressional committee now renamed the House Oversight and Accountability Committee. And it's not only renamed, but it's organized somewhat differently now. What's your expectation for what the contracting and federal IT community can expect from this whole new setup? Yeah, Tom, I think you went in the exactly right place. The new name of this committee is something that should have all contractors standing up and paying attention. Oversight and accountability. Uh, we're not going to see every specific procurement program get called on the carpet before the committees and subcommittees in the House, Tom. But the opportunities for getting larger procurements and larger programs with congressional oversight, extra congressional oversight, I think are very high now. I think if you were the project manager for a high profile, let's say, IT acquisition, you can expect a lot more questions from congressional leaders, from congressional staff about what you're doing, whether or not it's on budget, whether or not the program is meeting the requirement it was set up to meet. You're going to get an extra set of eyes, a couple of extra sets of eyes, looking at what you're doing and asking questions. You need to be prepared for that if you're a contractor and a government agency, because it's going to require some of your time that maybe you're not used to allocating your time that way now. But you also want to be really careful, Tom, about how you respond. I've written before about the need for government contract management people to coordinate sometimes with their government affairs teams. This would be one of those times. You know, government affairs teams are used to translating Congress speak to the rest of us. And if you find yourself getting a lot of questions from people in these committees, remember, it's not just the technical answer always that's the best. You want to make sure that you're bringing all of the stakeholders in so that they can run the necessary translation. And there are some you know, short-term, medium-term, and long-standing issues that just never seem to get resolved, no matter who's in control of Congress or oversight. You've got DOD cloud activities. You've got the electronic health record at VA. You've got FAA modernization. You've got IRS modernization. These are just projects that drag on and on and on, kept they keep getting re-baselined, restarted, re-reviewed, and refunded. Not refunds, but new funds. And so maybe the committee will try to get some of those things off the dime. Well, I think that's exactly what we can expect from this new committee, Tom. I think there's going to be a lot of questions. 
look, is this program not meeting its milestones? If not, the default now may be to say, well, that program should be stopped and maybe we institute another program. If the agency bit off more than it could chew, what can we do on a more modular basis? What can we do to get at the most critical needs now without trying to address maybe the whole strategy level issue. I definitely think we'll see Congress, this committee, making some recommendations to shut down programs they perceive to be ineffective. Of course, Senate might have to go along with that. But, you know, Senate's not real loose with spending taxpayer dollars on government programs either. So, you know, there still will be a level of oversight on on that side of the hill. I think that's very important. The other thing I think it's important, Tom, is to remember while we're talking about oversight, this is a congressional committee, and congressional committees do other things like pass legislation. I wouldn't be too surprised to see the, this new committee in the House, House Oversight and Accountability, pass some procurement laws aimed at remedying what they perceive to be problems with the procurement process. You remember a few years ago, we ended up with Section 889B for telecommunications equipment. And that's tied both government and industry in knots in trying to comply with uh, those requirements. They were written in a very conservative manner. I think we could end up with some more legislation in that vein. Well, we'll keep our eyes out. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. As always, thanks so much. Tom, thank you, and I wish your listeners happy selling. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to The Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, Visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and 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 physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they they basically were in d- direct care, and and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are are really um, you know we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought, well, you know, I'll take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information, and lo and behold, I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries, 
uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has a, has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when he'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism and, and and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. uh, We get more than we give. Uh, working the Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, yeah, I mean, we work hard and you know we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day but uh man you see it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at special olympics no one's excluded you know no, right. no one's excluded yeah. everyone is equal at special olympics it, and you know in a country that's quite divided on so many lines politically and uh, socially uh, economically race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot but you go to special olympics and everyone's involved everyone's welcome everyone's equal and I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experienced the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics Ways to get involved, uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together, uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think when you, when you go back to the 
founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.